Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. All right, so I've been doing this with each service thus far. Technically, Saturday night is still the winner. It's a fun little competition, and I'm sure you guys are eager to win. Technically, Saturday night won, and then I gave first service two chances, and then they won, but I don't know, two chances doesn't count. So I'm only going to give you one chance. We did this in Ireland on our mission trip. We did it with, they call it uh, what we call vacation Bible school. They call it holiday Bible club. And what we did was we would put a verse up on the screen. And this verse, we would slowly take away words, and then the kids had to fill it in to the point where like all we had was just the address without the book, like just the numbers. <laughs> like, there's no way these kids are going to get this. It's like, and they did. They nailed it. Well, I'm not going to do that to you guys, but what I am going to do is I'm going to start saying a part of a verse. And I'm not asking for five words. I'm not asking for three words. I'm asking for one word. And if you guys can say it in unison, the loudest, because you know it, then I will proclaim you the victorious service. I hope you guys are ready. You're like, I don't know all the verses. This is one that we use quite often. You're going to be familiar with it. If you're not, your neighbor will probably know it, and you can kind of just say, like, watermelon, and then say it quietly, and it'll be like you're saying the word, okay? So just in case you didn't know, for those of you who want to be on the Christmas choir, if you lose the lyrics, watermelon really works, and it looks like you're singing the song. But anyways, side note. Here it goes. Ready? It's in Proverbs chapter 3. It's verse 5. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pumped up. Um, it starts with, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own. Man, you guys did win. Yeah, congrats. I, I personally didn't, I, I said, and I will, I'll be honest with you because you guys weren't here last night. I said Saturday night would win. And I'm sorry, you guys emphatically, especially the front row, did really well. So that's the verse we're going over, because trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. That's not going to be the passage we will focus on, but it's going to be a passage I want you to keep in your mind as we go through the passage we'll be focusing on, which is in Joshua chapter 9. So you can turn there with me. Joshua chapter 9. The reason I want that to be in your mind as we go through this passage is because we're about to look at a narrative in the scripture of the children of Israel and Joshua, the leadership of the children of Israel, and how they end up leaning on their own understanding. They do exactly opposite of what that verse says. Uh, and the title of this message, for those of you taking notes, is Leaning on Lies. And the reason I titled it that way is because that's exactly what the children of Israel, the rulers, and Joshua do. They end up leaning on their own understanding. They end up leaning on a lie instead of leaning on the knowledge of God. And that gets them into big, big trouble. But that's what we're about to jump into. So to give you some background, because if we jump into a chapter without the right background, you can kind of feel like, ah, I don't know, it's like watching a movie in the middle to the end. You get kind of lost. It doesn't work. So to give you some background, in chapter six, for those of you who study the Bible, you know the story of Jericho. Israel has just had victory over Jericho. The great walls have fallen. And they're experiencing the joy of walking in the promises of God. God said, I'm going to give you victory after victory after victory as you take the land I promised to you, the promised land. Jericho was one of those victories. 
From there, they go to a place called Ai, and they suffer their first defeat. They were very confident, so confident that they only sent about 3,000 people, and this is in Joshua chapter 7. Instead of sending their whole army, they sent about 3,000 men. They go out there and they lose, which was surprising because they just had all these promises, which we'll later look over, that they're going to have victory after victory after victory after victory. So when they get there and they lose, they're like, well, what's going on? Well, God being faithful points out to them, there is sin in the camp. There is sin in your camp, and his name is Achan, one guy. This one guy decided to take the plunder of Jericho from their victory that was supposed to be dedicated to the Lord. He took a robe, he took a bar of gold, and he took 200 pieces of silver, and he literally buried it under his tent. So in order to reveal this, the Lord says, I want you to split up the nation into tribes, so the 12 tribes. Then I want you to split up those tribes into the clans. And then from those clans, I want you to pick out the families. And I want the families individually to come up, and then I'm going to stop on the guy who did it. Like, how intimidating. You know, Achan had all this time. They split up the tribes. They split up the clans. They split up his family. And then they're calling his family up. And like, Achan still doesn't speak up until the Lord says, this guy. And if you were that guy, it would be very nerve-wracking. You're like, oh, man. Israel takes care of the sin in the camp. And now they're moving forward. They go back to Ai, and they get great victory. From there, they are now moving forward, and that's what brings us to chapter 9, which we'll see as opposition. The reason I bring that up, because I think it relates really well to our lives spiritually as believers. We'll have the excitement of walking in the promises of God. Like, oh yeah, I'm so excited. I know what the Lord says. I know what he's given me in his word. Let's do this. And we have victory. And then we stumble and we fail. But then we have a gracious God who says, hey, just get it out of your life. Repent, turn away. I want to keep going with you. I want to keep moving forward. I want to keep building this momentum. And in this scenario, we decide instead of uh, sinning more, we decide, yeah, Lord, like I'm going to take care of this in the camp. I'm going to move forward. Hopefully it happens like that more often than it doesn't. But we do, and the Lord blesses, takes us back to those places of AI. We get great victory, and we get to start building that momentum, building that excitement, building all of this just amazing relationship with Jesus. We're going forward with him. But in chapter 9, for Joshua and the Israelites, they're about to meet opposition. And often in our lives, when we're at that high point, I don't want you to not be aware of this fact. And the reason I'm reminding you is so that you are aware of it. When you're moving forward with God, when you're building that momentum with Jesus, there's going to be opposition waiting for you. It's a fact. And for Joshua and the Israelites, they're about to see this opposition in a real way. So pick up with me in Joshua chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read all the way till verse 14. Joshua chapter 9. says this, And it came to pass when all the kings who were on the side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland and in all the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite heard about it, that they gathered together to fight Joshua and Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves. And all the bread that they were bringing for the provision was dry and moldy. Verse 6, And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore, make a covenant with us. 
Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? Good question. But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? So they said to him, from a very far country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them, and say to them, we are your servants, now therefore make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision and from our, from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins which we filled were new and see they are torn and our garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. And here's like the uh-oh moment, you know, the, the part of the movie or the part of the story you're just like, man, mm. verse 14. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask the counsel of the Lord. Now, here we are in the beginning where I'm kind of built it up for you, where they're gaining momentum, they're getting excited, they're moving forward, and then opposition is waiting for them in verse 1. All the ites have gathered together. They've come together not just uh, to unite just because they're going to have a fun brunch, but they've come together as one accord to fight against Israel. They've decided we're going to put a stop to this movement. We're seeing that they have taken through Jericho, they've taken out Ai, and they're not going to take any more. Let's come together and fight. Now, Joshua and the children of Israel would be prepared for this. They were told, after all, by the Lord that they were going to have victory, and victory means battles. So for the nations to come together in one accord wasn't surprising. It was actually expected. But what was surprising is what we find the Gibeonites, who are also known as the Hivites in this chapter and what they decide to do. And instead of joining the ranks and putting up a frontal assault on the children of Israel, they decide to come up with a plan of acting like ambassadors from a very far country. And they went all the way. They got the props, the old clothes, they got the old and the moldy dry bread, like they prepared moldy dry bread for this journey. They put the old stuff on their donkeys, they got their old shoes on, and they're like, you know, we're going to go, we're going to save ourselves by lying to the children of Israel. We're going to come up with this great story. They not only had the props, they had the backstory. Not only that, if you didn't catch this, when they're talking to Joshua and the children of Israel, they mention two battles. They mention Egypt getting wiped out in the Red Sea, and they mention uh, the Amorite kings. Both of those instances happened before the Israelites crossed the Jordan. And the reason that's a big deal is because in order to get to the promised land, you had to cross the Jordan into the promised land. But remember, their story is this. We come from a very far country. Therefore, in order for that to be true, the only thing that has happened since they left their home when they heard about the great fame of the one true God, Yahweh, that's what you see when the Lord is capitalized in all letters, it means Yahweh. In order for them to, to make this story seem right, the only thing that's happened is so far Amorite and Egypt, not Jericho and Ai. But we know in verse 3, that the reason they're even making this trip is because they heard about Jericho and Ai, which was on the other side of the Jordan. And the reason I bring up these details is uh, because there's a takeaway point for us. There's something that we need to remember. We're ready for those obvious attacks against our faith. And I'm going to use some silly analogies, but I think you're going to be, be able to relate to them pretty well. Pastor Ed often tells us the analogy of when you smash your hand with a hammer. You know, for those of you who are handy, because again, my dad is not handy, so he would never use that analogy in his real life. However, for those of you who are, 
When you smash your hand against a hamburger, you know, I cannot cuss. I will not cuss. I'm a Christian. That's not what I do. Or a more reasonable one that just happened to me last week when someone cuts you off on the freeway. You get all afraid. Oh, man. I will not cuss. I've got long-suffering, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. I'm a Christian. Through the Spirit, come to me. You know, you're praying for that and you're hoping for that. Those are the obvious attacks. I know what to do in those situations. But the ones that we're not prepared for, those unexpected ones, the ones like the Gibeonites, the ones that are well-crafted by the enemy, the ones that have all the checkboxes marked off for us, the ones that are presented to us in such a delightful, delectable, easy to taste and easy to take part of way, those are the ones we have to be prepared for. Because I don't want you to think that the enemy, who I refer to, you know, the devil, I refer to him as the enemy, the reason I do that is to remind you that he is our enemy. Because he doesn't forget that you're his enemy. He doesn't forget he has the, you each have the Holy Spirit in you. And with that same Holy Spirit that saved 3,000 people from one message, you guys can do the same thing. Because this same Holy Spirit hasn't changed since the days of the Bible. He understands how big of a threat you are. He understands that when you start picking a momentum, how you can change the world that the Lord has brought you in, your social circles, your family life, your workplace. He understands how big of a threat you are. And his main goal is to destroy you. John 10, 10, he's like a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't have good things planned for you. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a list of this is what so-and-so struggles with, this, 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 and this. And for so-and-so over here, I remember before they got saved, they were really into this. And he has these lists set out ready to come exactly where you're at to shut you down, to stop that forward movement with the Lord, to destroy that momentum because you're a threat to his kingdom. And sometimes we forget about that. Well, well how, do I, how do I prepare for the unexpected? Well, it goes back to Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six. You gotta trust in the Lord, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him so that he can direct your paths. And the reason that's important, the reason I bring that up is because when you trust in the Lord, that means you are humbly coming before him and saying, God, I don't know everything and I can't trust just my understanding. Therefore, I'm gonna be in Bible study like you guys are, are here today. I'm gonna be in my word I'm going to be fellowshiping with other believers because I want to give you a chance to speak. And just like today's song, every word, like I don't want to miss a word you speak. That mentality of saying, I understand how weak and frail I am, humbly, but how great and powerful you are. That's how you prepare for these unexpected temptations. And I don't want you to be fooled or leave here without the awareness being revived in your life that the enemy does have perfect temptations lined up for you, specifically for you, not just for your family, but for you. You have an enemy who wants you dead. And much like he did to Eve in the garden, he'll manipulate a truth. He'll make it sound so good. No, you won't die. And he's right. Eve didn't die like that. She died over a long period of time. Instantly, her spiritual walk with the Lord was separated because of that sin. Instantly, that momentum she had, that sweet fellowship she had with the Lord. What happened? Her and Adam had to run and hide. That's what they felt when they were separated because of their sin. And the same thing happens with us. The minute we take that temptation, the minute we take a part of that, everything stops. We feel guilty. We go into that mode of failure. I don't have that relationship with the Lord. The sweet things that were going on in my life have just, they've ended. And that's a lie. The Lord's faithful. He's like, no, you might have failed, but just... Just come back. 
I know. I can give you what you need. For the children of Israel, they come to this place in verse 7 and 8. Pick up there with me as we review. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? These are great questions. And the reason they ask these questions, we'll get to in a little bit, but these are great questions. Actually, we'll get to them now. Go to Exodus chapter 23. I think it'll be better to have this context before we go into the next point. Exodus chapter 23. We're gonna jump into verse 20. And then if you want to get ahead, a little bit farther ahead, you can go to Exodus 34. But Exodus, Exodus chapter 23, verse 20 says this. This is a promise from the Lord to the Israelites regarding going into the promised land. Behold, I sent an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. Verse 22, but if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you in to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do any, or do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. So right here in this section, you get the promises. The Lord individually names all these ites. says, I'm going to give you victory over each one of them as you go into the promised land. Just obey me. That's all I need. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 34, a few pages to the right. This all ties into Joshua chapter 9, verses 7 and 8. But Exodus 34, starting in verse 20, or excuse me, in verse 10. It says this, again, God speaking. And he said, behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as not have been, or excuse me, I will restart. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving you out from before you the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Verse 12, here's the key. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. Now go back with me to Joshua chapter 9, verses 7 and 8. We see the questions are asked first by the men of Israel. What if you're our neighbors? How can we make a covenant with you? How can we make this oath with you? And Joshua, getting down to the point, who are you and where are you from? The reason they're asking these pointed questions is because they're very well aware of what's in Exodus chapter 23 and 34. They're aware of the promises the Lord gave them. Promise number one was, I'm going to give you victory. Promise number two is that you should not make a covenant with people that are the inhabitants of the land. Why? Because this is a promise. If you do make a covenant with them, they will become a snare to you. And this is a takeaway point for us. Ungodly alliances become snares in our lives. Ungodly alliances become snares in our lives. A couple examples of that, for those of you who are married, you know the difficulties that come with being married to an unbeliever. You understand the difficulties that come when you are sharing one life with someone who doesn't desire to honor God the way you do. It's hard. It's difficult. The second analogy you can apply to this is business. It's hard to run a business in a godly way when you're partnered with someone who doesn't have the same desire to honor God. 
It may be great, you know, in, in going back to the first analogy, it may be great in dating and in engagement, and they're the best, he or she's the best person in the world. You're just like, oh, they're so good that we connect on so many levels. But if they don't have a relationship with God, I'm guaranteeing, I'm not just having, I don't have to, the Bible does, they're going to become a snare to you. It's an ungodly alliance. Two beliefs can't coexist. You have one person desiring to serve the Lord, and you have one person that does not. It doesn't work. Same thing with ungodly alliances in business. You have a heart to serve the Lord with your business and what he's given you. Eventually, there's going to come a decision that's going to be difficult, and you're going to need two people to decide. One is going to desire to honor God in their decision, and the other's not. doesn't matter how great this person has been in business before. doesn't matter how amazing of a partner they have been in the past. When it comes down to it, you have two differing beliefs. And this isn't, and this is kind of heavy because everyone gets a little bit quiet during the last two services. Like, whoa, this isn't something that I'm telling you. This is something that the Bible is telling you. Exodus 34, 12. Don't make covenants. Don't make ungodly alliances because it'll become a snare to you. It's the truth. The Lord is warning the children of Israel, don't do this. Don't do it. However, pick up with me in verse 15. Something happens when we lean on our own understanding, when we let God be excluded from our decision-making, when we let God be excluded from our lives. It says this, so Joshua, in verse 15, made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the rulers of the congregation swore to them. Sin happens when we leave God out of our lives. When we exclude God from the important things, not just the important, but even the small things, when we rely on our own understanding, we allow a foothold to be given to the enemy. When we lean on our own understanding, when we feel comfortable with the decision we're about to make, because the Gibeonites made it really easy for Joshua and the leadership to feel comfortable with the decision that they made in verse 14 really easy. I mean, Joshua's looking at them. They're telling me they're from a far country. They have moldy bread. They have old shoes. Their donkeys look pretty messed up. Like these guys sound like they're pretty legit. But you know what happened in verse seven and eight? Here's the key. They had the right question, but they asked the wrong person. They had the right questions. The Israelites did. The the, the rulers of the Israelites, Joshua had the right questions, but they asked the wrong people. They asked the wrong person. And when you have a question, you have the right question, you have the knowledge of scripture when that decision comes up, but instead of going to God with this question, you give room for the temptation to prove its point. 10 out of 10 times, the temptation's always gonna look good and it's always gonna prove its point in our lives. The enemy's not gonna just let that go. Oh, wow, they're giving me a chance. I'm gonna walk away from that door. I'm not gonna mess with them, no. No, he's gonna go, yeah, let's go right through that door. I wanna know exactly, I wanna take that opportunity in their lives. I wanna mess them up. They've given me the opportunity. They've taken the bait. They've eaten the temptation. I made it look so good that they had to take a bite. And that's what happened to the Israelites. It looked so good, it was foolproof. Look at their bread, it's dry and moldy. They said that this was baked the day they left. It makes sense. But it was the perfect temptation. It was the perfect lie set up for them. The enemy knew Joshua and the children of Israel. He knew what they were promised by God. 
He knew that in order to make a covenant with a people, that these people had to be from a far country. Therefore, he made sure that they seemed like they were from a far country. Same thing with you and I. He knows the weaknesses. He knows your buttons. He knows how he needs to present this so it to look so good, so foolproof, that you take the bait so he can stop the momentum, so he can shut you down. And that's exactly what happened because in verse 15, they make peace and they make a covenant. They disobey Exodus 34, 12. And we know when we disobey, we rob ourselves of the promises of God. We rob ourselves of the sweetness of relationship. And the reason I'm telling you all this is not just to be a reminder, but also to exhort. Like I hope as we look at our lives, we don't just say, oh, I can't believe Joshua would do that. So dumb. Like, oh my gosh. No, we realize, man, I'm just like them. I have these opportunities in my life all the time where I just make decisions because it just seems right. Like it's just, oh, yeah, you're no good. No, what does God have to say? What does God have to say about that part of your life? I know this is how you've done it in the past, but maybe God wants to go in a different direction. I know you've kind of given up on that person in your family that has not believed, but maybe God wants to do a new work. Did you ask before you just blew them off? You're like, oh, no, it's all good. Whatever it is in your life, are we including God in our decision-making? Because if we don't, we end up like the Israelites. Pick up with me in verse 16. And it happened at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Shapira, Beeroth, and Kirjath-Jerim. Verse 18, but the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation complained against the rulers. And in verse 19, then all the rulers said to the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest the wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the rulers said to them, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. We'll pause there. They made a mistake. And now the children of Israel were going to suffer the consequences of that. But there's something to be admired here, and I think it's something that we can learn from, we can take from the children of Israel and how they handle this situation. Because they failed in one temptation, right? They, they fell for the lie. They ended up leaning on the lie. They made their decision. They made the covenant. But now another temptation is presented to them. And it's in the form of, what do we do now? with this mistake, this failure. We have, if you caught it there in verse, I believe it's 18. Yes, it says, and all the congregation complained against the rulers. And when we say congregation, like I don't want you to think small, like you know, the few thousand are here in our congregation. No, we're talking about a nation of millions. We're upset with their leaders. And I think we can all relate to that, especially in the climate of our nation, how millions are upset with various leaders. And I just wanna remind you, pray for our government officials. Pray that they would have wisdom, especially the ones that were just elected a few days ago into office. It's a high-pressure situation to have people upset with you. You know, like it, for you married people, it's hard to have your spouse upset with you, much less millions of spouses. Yeah, imagine that. Yeah. It's really hard. It's difficult. And it's your fault. Like, you made the mistake. The children of Israel, the, these, this leadership had to own up because they just allowed the Gibeonites who lived three days away, three days journey away, they let these neighbors that they were supposed to have victory over become a part of their lifestyle. 
So every day the Israelites would wake up and there's a Gibeonite. Oh, that's a mistake because so-and-so made that decision. Joshua made that decision. So they're in a tough place. But here's the new temptation. New temptation was this. We can wipe out the Gibeonites and that's gonna free us from two things. One, the covenant is now null and void. No more Gibeonites, no more covenant. And all the people will be happy again. So one, the pressure's gone. And two, our mistake is wiped away. It's put under the rug. But that's not what they do. Instead, they say, we're not going to do that because our God's name is more important than our mistake. And this is a takeaway point for us today. Oftentimes when we fail or we make a mistake, we have two choices. We can take the humble route and say, you're right, I made this mistake. And you can make the right apologies, ask for forgiveness from the right people, because it's not just you. Your sin affects everybody. Or we can take the prideful route oh no, God's gracious, we're all good, let's put it on the rug, see you later. You know, you just kind of move on. And many times, the prideful way is easier in our minds. It's so tempting to take that way. Because in us, in our lives, I can just ignore it. And that means if I ignore it, if I cover my eyes, that means no one can see me. You know, as kids playing hide and go seek. Like, no, the kid's still there. Like, I still see you, Johnny. Like, you're right there. Like, no, 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 I, I didn't sin. It didn't happen. God forgave me. I'm good with God. That's all I need. No. Your sin affects everyone, not just you and God. And the humble route says, hey, I made a mistake. Will you forgive me? The humble route says repentance is important. Why? Because by asking for repentance, by asking for forgiveness, you're glorifying your God. You're honoring his name. And when we do that, we get to enjoy the sweetness of relationship. Why? Because we've been put on this earth to glorify God. But even in our desire to glorify him by, you know, whatever it was to ignore the sin or, you know, just to move on, I just want to keep, I just want to build that momentum. If you don't do it the right way, you won't build the right momentum. Our whole goal is to bring glory and honor to God. Ignoring the problem, ignoring our sin, trying to just say, no, it's just good. Me and God are good. And forgetting those who have been affected by it, that's not glorifying God at all. Glorifying God is humbly saying, I made a mistake. Will you forgive me? It's allowing God to do a healing and restoring work so that you can say, I fixed this problem. I did that in your life. Not you, not the problem that's still under the rug. No, I fixed this because that's who I am. That's, that's what I get to do. That's what I love to do. I love to rescue you. I love to walk with you. I love to help you with your decision-making. And when you mess up, I love to be faithful. I love to prove to you how much I love you by coming in and saying, I saved you. So why don't you let me? And it goes back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We don't let him because we lean on our own understanding. We don't let him because we don't trust him to do what he says he wants to do and can do through us. For somehow, some reason, we took the bait because it looks so good. And that's what the children of Israel do here. It's what the leadership does until they come to this new temptation where they said, no, we messed up. But because we swore on Yahweh's name, the one true God, we will not kill them. And we will not go far because it's pretty obvious, but if you sin, another sin isn't gonna make that sin go away. Sin, forgiveness makes the sin go away. Sin on top of sin always leads to more sin and sadness. But sin with obedience, allowing the Lord to come in and do a work, it's a great thing. But you may be wondering, well, I don't understand what the big deal is 
because for the Gibeonites, they were doing all they could do. I mean, this is, what else were they going to do? Just stand there and die? What, what else should they do? Well, pick up with me in verse 22 as we see what Joshua does as he confronts the Gibeonites about their lie. He says this in verse 22. Then Joshua called for them and he spoke to them saying, why have you deceived us saying, we are very far from you when you dwell near us? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers, for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore, we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now here we are in your hands. Do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. So he did to them, in verse 26, and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. Now the Gibeonites here, as they explain to Joshua why they did what they did, it makes sense. Like it's a pretty reasonable explanation. What they knew was that the Lord had given Israel the promised land. And that meant that whoever was in the promised land had to get out or be taken away. So in their minds, survival kicks in. We need to come up with a way to survive. And the best way for them was to develop this lie and present it to the children of Israel, which they did very well. They planned it all out. They had the props, the backstory, everything. It all worked out really smooth. What they didn't know, what they didn't know was that the God they were talking about is actually the same God that you and I still serve today, who is loving and gracious and merciful and saves through faith, saves because of faith in him. And what they didn't know was something that happened in Joshua chapter six. And in Joshua chapter six, we have the story of Jericho. And Jericho had one woman who showed faith. They had one woman who decided to hide two spies in her roof. Her name was Rahab, Rahab the harlot. And because of Rahab's faith in the one true God, knowing that he was going to accomplish the thing he said he would do through the Israelites, she not only hid these spies, she not only put the cord out of her window to identify herself, but she also brought her family into her home so that when the walls came down, and I don't know how it happened, you know, in, in, in growing up in the church, you have kind of the picture of all the walls came down except for her home it was just standing. But I'm not sure how it happened. But what I do know is that her and her whole family was saved because of her faith in the one true God. They were not eliminated. They were not Israelites. Her name is Rahab the harlot. She was not holy and righteous, but she had faith in the one true God. And the Lord in his grace and mercy saved her and her family. Not only that, they weren't just saved to become slaves in the children of Israel. They were saved to become a part of the children of Israel. So much so that Rahab is in the genealogy of Jesus. That's pretty big. That's a huge adoption process right there. God didn't eliminate her and her family. No, he saved her and her family because of her faith. For the Gibeonites, they're a good example of us in a different way, just like Israel was and Joshua was and how when we lean on our own understanding, we come to the wrong conclusion. When we exclude God, we always make bad decisions. Well, the Gibeonites did the same thing. They were leaning on knowledge without God. They had an idea of what they had heard. They had an idea of what they were seeing, but they didn't have the full picture. 
And same thing with us when we're tempted. We have an idea of how to answer it. We have an idea of how we should go about it, but we don't have the full picture. The full picture belongs to the Lord, which is why he says, please don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge me. Why? Because I know things. I know a person by the name of Rahab who was saved. I know how to save you. If that's what you want, I can give that to you. Just ask me. But oftentimes we do what the Gibeonites do. We come up with our own plan to save ourselves. And yes, you could say, and you can argue, they did save themselves. They're alive. Yeah, but they're alive to be woodcutters. They're alive to be slaves. And we know that they do live. They do live. You can find a Gibeonite in David's Mighty Men. Uh, Solomon, I think he meets with God in, in the city of Gibeon. You know, you'll see throughout scripture, if you want to do a little more in-depth scripture, that they're still around. They do survive, but they are servants and slaves. And so often when we handle things in our own strength, you're right, we may get through it, but there's always a little bit of consequence that comes with us. There's always a little bit of the sweetness of the relationship of the blessing that we could have had if we would have included God taken away. Because the enemy, again, he's here to steal, kill, and destroy. When he's described as a thief, he's here to rob you of living a fulfilled life in Christ here on earth until we get to see him face to face. For the Gibeonites, the Gibeonites, they do survive, but their survival is as slaves. And it's a picture for us that, yes, we may get the answer that saves our lives, but we're robbing ourselves of the blessing that comes with giving the Lord an opportunity to say, this is what you should do. Just ask me. I'm waiting to tell you the story of Rahab the harlot. I'm waiting to tell you the story of how I rescued this family because of their faith. I'm waiting to rescue you too. Give me a chance to tell you how you should go to the children of Israel, how you should talk to Joshua. Let me be a part of your decision-making. Let me be a part of your life. And thankfully, we serve a God. He is a gentleman. He's not gonna force his opinion in our life. He's gonna say, you should probably read my word. You should probably go to church, fellowship with other believers. You should probably pray, communicate with me. You should probably let me be a part of your life. I'm not gonna force myself, but I'm gonna allow life to draw you to myself. And so often when we make those mistakes, it does draw us to the Lord. When we make those failures, in the very beginning of the message, that analogy of victory and failure, allowing the Lord to point out what we need to clean up, we do, we go back to the Lord. But my hope is today that after this message, we don't have to go to the Lord after we failed, we get to go to the Lord so we don't fail. And I'm not saying I'm expecting all of you to walk out of here perfect and like, oh yeah, I'll never fail again because I heard today's message. Trust in the Lord with all my heart because we're still flawed and we still will. However, if this saves you from making a grave mistake, that'll, maybe it's not just a passing consequence, but it's a lifetime of consequence because we know those sins. There's still sins that we're paying for because sin comes at a cost. And yes, that cost was paid by Jesus Christ and his blood and eternally we're sanctified and saved in God's eyes and we're gonna be in heaven, but there's still consequences while we live here on earth. And I hope that this message will help encourage and remind you that that doesn't have to be the case because we have an all-knowing, all-loving God who's waiting, waiting for us to include him on our decisions. He's waiting to tell us, I have a way where there seems to be no way. I know what I can do for you if you just believe, if you just trust me, if you just acknowledge me, not in some ways, but in all ways. I'll come in and I will swoop in and rescue you. You know why? Because I am a rescuer. 
That's what I do. That's why I sent my son Jesus down from heaven to rescue you. That is what I want to do for my creation. And we forget that. You know, as I was putting this message together, please don't think, oh, Josh is just hammering in on us. No, no, this comes to me. This is something that has to apply to me way before I bring it up here. The Lord is really quick to say, hey, just acknowledge me, ask me. And I had a situation just last week where I wanted to say the right thing. Like I had everything set up, like immediately. I had an opportunity, I had everything written out, typed out, this is what I'm gonna do. And the Lord stopped me. And this was a, a victorious time. This wasn't a failure. This was victorious. And I was just like, as I was preparing for this message, I was like, you know what? I just need to give it to the Lord. I'm going to give him three days. Like, I just want to give him three days to take over, like, look at what I have typed out. Give me a heart for what I want to say to this person. I feel like it's the right answer, but I just want to make sure that God covers it completely. And so I gave him three days. I sought counsel from other, um, other people that were wise and walking with the Lord. And, you know, counsel, there's, a, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And, and then the day comes, and I'm like, all right, you know, I'm feeling pretty confident. The Lord, yeah, he established it. And I was like, I don't know why he'd make me wait if this is the right answer. Like, okay, but, you know, I'm glad I did. Got that checked. And the conversation happens and ends up totally just not what I expected at all. Really rough. And I was like, Lord, like, what is going on? Like this, like everything was right, like the whole, what's going on? The Lord just simply is like, hey, I wanted you to wait so that you can have the confidence because no matter what answer you gave, if you would have given it the first night you got it or if you would have given it a few days later like you have just done, you were gonna get the same response. But by waiting and allowing me to filter out your response, by waiting and allowing you or allowing me to tell you that this is good, go for it, instead of just answering it right away, it gives you the peace of mind that you can go to sleep tonight knowing you did everything in your power to give the right response according to my will and still you were bit, still you were hurt, but you know it wasn't because of you, because you rested on me and you can enjoy the sweetness of fellowship with me today. You can know going to bed at night that you're secure that you did make the right choice according to my Holy Spirit. And because of that, there's blessing that comes with that. And the first blessing for me, specifically in my own life, was peace of mind. I didn't have to go to bed feeling like I made a mistake because I was acting in my flesh. I got to go to bed knowing that I did everything according to the Lord. That freedom is so good to experience in our lives. And God's saying, I want to free you you don't have to make these decisions and become slaves to your consequences, to your sin. I want to free you so you can live a life of joy, live a life of peace, live a life of happiness. You're like, well, that doesn't mean every time I obey God, it's, my life's going to be butterflies and happiness all the time. No, you still live in a sinful world. People's sin is still going to affect you. But as far as you're concerned, you're good to go because your walk with the Lord is set. And there's a joy and there's a blessing that comes with that. And it all starts with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And I promise you, church, with him directing, there's nothing that will stand against you. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your willingness to be personal, your desire to come into our lives, Lord, 
to not just leave us out here alone, but you have a true desire, Lord, to love on us. You desire to speak to us. You desire to include yourself in our lives. I pray, Lord, that as we read these scriptures, as we read these accounts you've given to us in your word, Lord, that we would remember that this is your heart. Your heart is to rescue us from the decisions that we're about to make, Lord, to rescue us from our sinful decisions, to rescue us before we even get to that point. I pray, Lord, that you would imprint this in our hearts, that when we come back to the book of Joshua, we won't forget how you desire to love us by being a part of our lives, how you desire to direct us, how you desire to care for us, how you desire to carry us. Lord, I thank you that you're personal. I thank you that you love us, and I thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus, for you sending him to rescue us from our own sin. Lord, for washing us clean. Lord, I thank you for being a just God and a holy God, for being a loving God. And not the fake world love, Lord, but true love, love that doesn't end, love that's always desiring. No matter how many times we tell you no or how many times we make decisions in our own strength, you're still waiting for the next decision for us to be a part of it or for us to allow you to be a part of it. And right now, before we close, like I want to give this opportunity and invite you, for those of you who, as I'm even talking about this, you're like, I don't even have a relationship with this God. And I really want what you're talking about. It seems like every decision I make just gets worse and worse and worse. And I feel like I could really use a God who desires to love me and give me direction for my life. And if that's you, if you're like, I, I need a relationship with the one true God, I need a relationship with Jesus, this guy that you've told me is God and who created me and who loves me and who desires to direct my life, if that's you and you know you have this need, the Lord's been tugging at you throughout this whole service, I want you to stand because I wanna help you start this relationship with the Lord. I wanna lead you in a prayer that will invite Jesus into your life to say, Jesus, here I am. I need your direction. Will you direct me? Will you save me? Will you rescue me? Amen. Will you be a part of my life? Will you be a part of my decision-making? Because it needs to happen. The Lord has brought you here for a purpose. He's made you for a purpose. And until you start this relationship with him, you won't know what that purpose is fully. God wants to do this in your life. Amen. God wants to do this in your life today. This is the day that will change the rest of your life. In church, you know what happens during this time. God bless you and God bless you in the back. You know that there's a battle going on. There's a lot of temptation happening right now where the enemy wants to stop them from standing, from making this proclamation. But we're praying against it because the Lord wants to do an amazing work. He wants to do a restoring work. He wants to do a new work, a fresh work. We get to be a part of that. So if that's you, would you stand? As I scan the room one more time, I want to lead you guys in a prayer. Amen. All right, for those of you standing, keep standing. I want to lead you in this prayer. Simply this. Dear Lord, I realize that I'm a sinner, that I've made mistakes. And I repent from those mistakes, from the life that I've been living without you. I ask for your forgiveness for my sins, for those mistakes that have separated me from you. Lord, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me so that I might have a way to have a relationship with you. 
thank you, God, for giving me this opportunity to restart, to start fresh. I receive that, Lord, and I desire that in my life. And in Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.